Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Oteil Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. What's going on, everybody? This is the Helping Friendly Podcast, episode 188. For those keeping score at home, I don't think there's anybody... Um, it's RJ. I'm here with Matt and Brad, and we have a special guest, Ben, the drummer from Goose. Hey, Ben. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. 
We appreciate you joining. Ben is actually a relatively recent fish convert, and as a musician and ha- as a as someone who discovered fish in the last several years, we wanted to have him come on and tell us about his experience and also talk a little bit about Goose and, and all kinds of other things, music. But first, we have a couple of things to talk about. Um, the first thing is that we have a new show that we think you all have probably heard about at this point because it came out a couple of days ago. The show is called Undermine, and it affects all of our lives significantly. Probably not your <laughs> lives, but <laughs> my life and Matt's life and Brad's life. I mean, not that significantly, actually, but it's a huge, awesome development for all of us. Um, I just want to say it's going to be amazing to be combined with Brian and Dave and Tom and be kind of threading a narrative together over the course of several months uh, about a specific topic with these guys. And um, if you haven't listened under the scales, maybe I should back up and say, Matt, what's Undermine? We are combining three of our fish podcasts on Osiris into one mega show. So this is kind of like, it's like a Voltron kind of thing going on here. Um, except it's going to be permanent. We're, Voltron's coming together and then he's not breaking apart again. Um, we're going to give you the full 360 view of fish on different topics. Uh, so we'll have a topic for like a season or a month. And um, Tom might talk to some uh, insider special guests. Uh, we may give you some deep musical analysis about what was going on on around that time or around that topic. And then um, Brian and Dave will top it off with perspective on what uh, the musical landscape was like around that and and how uh, Fish's music fits into that. So should be really, really cool. Uh, Excited to get this going in the new year. I think um, one one thing that we said in the Under the Scales announcement about this combination and this creation of the new show, Undermine, is that... um, it's going to be even better. We're going to have a weekly show. Tom is going to kind of be your guide in each episode, but Tom might talk for a few minutes and then you'll hear the HF pod team go deep on a jam or a show from uh, the early years first uh, over the next several months, but then in the future about some other topic and it's going to be really fun. I'm, I'm psyched to do it and it's, it, no one's losing anything. Everyone's gaining and uh, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty cool. So that will launch in February, although we will have another episode two weeks from today where we will spend time together as an HF pod family and laugh and we might drink a beer. We might cry. Um, we might yell at each other. You never know what's going to happen. So that's that's definitely happening. But we're psyched about Undermine. Thank you for breaking that down for us, Matt. Um, all right. So quickly, there was the Beacon Jams concluded. Was that eight weeks of Beacon Jams, yeah, uh, Brad. Started what, early started early, early October. What do you think about that? How how it ended up? What was your kind of like thought about the whole thing? Um, it was really enjoyable. I thought it got better each week. Um, you know, even had a tr- little tray surprise with the horns. I think on the seventh or sixth week, whenever that was. Um, and then they finished with a bang, man. It was incredible. No repeats, as we expect almost now. Um, and some special guests, the strings, I was actually talking with Tom this week about just how incredible the strings were to the addition or, you know, to, to add to the music. It's almost like the songs were written with the strings, the way that Don Hart really included them all. So, or, you know, composed it. So, um, really great. I don't, I don't know. Ben, did you get a chance to check out the Beacon Jams? 
I saw some, uh, definitely. I mean, we were fortunate to be on the road for some of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a big Russ Lawton fan. Uh, so I, I love that vibe. Um, I, I definitely have a few to go back and, and catch up on, but everything I saw was amazing. Um, it, it's trade and like really honing in on his songwriting is a really cool thing. Um, and just that, that band and the strings, this was a cool vibe too. So Ben, we let's get into the conversation because you have done a bunch of these shows in front of, well, first you guys did a bunch of shows in front of no fans and then you did some drive-in shows. I guess when you guys did those initial shows in the spring, I guess, after the spring and summer tours were canceled, right? Or several shows were canceled. And then you guys did some really cool kind of intimate shows. What were those initial shows like that you did from, from the house, um, to, to no fans? Like what were the, what was that like for you as a performer? Yeah, it was a weird vibe for sure. I mean, we, we were on the road with pigeons playing ping pong for six weeks and we made it till the last three shows when it got canceled and we got sent home and we were supposed to have like our, our first real, like sold out headlining tour a couple weeks later. Um, but all of a sudden all that got canceled. So it was a huge bummer. And, um, we honestly, we were just like jumping to do whatever we could, you know, everyone was hurting and just really bumming that there's no music all of a sudden. Um, and literally like on our ride home from the last canceled, you know, from the canceled tour, we were talking with our management already about making moves and about, you know, doing whatever we can to get the live streams going. Were you ever too like caught up in the moment to consider what you're going to do next? Or was it just like, let's figure out how to get music in front of fans as soon as possible? Like, what was the mindset of the band at that point? Yeah, I mean, me personally, like, sure. Um, but I, I'm really fortunate that our, our team around us is just, like, absolute, you know, bosses in the industry. Um, just, like, our management was so on top of just, you know, being innovative, getting, you know, being the first to, you know, do these streams and um, just trying to set take it to the next level. And for us, we really wanted to be as interactive as possible. Cause at, at first it was all about just jumping to be able to perform, to be able to do the live streams, but then everyone started doing the same thing and uh, you, you got kind of bogged down with a lot of the same. Um, so that's how the bingo tour kind of came around. We wanted to be more, you know, involved and, and actually, you know, be live and interacting with our fans as we're doing it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a weird transition, but our team has really been on top of it and uh, it's, it's been fun and exciting to be kind of, you know, on the forefront, it feels like of, of having to, you know, transition and deal with the climate as, as it is today. I want to ask quick and uh, about the bingo tour. Do you guys normally write set lists? You usually go up with a set list. I'd say we almost always go up with a set list. Every once in a while, we'll go up there with just a list of songs. We'll have like a list of originals and covers and we'll just kind of pick at, you know, it's whatever we're feeling. Um, even though we go up there with a set list, I'd say about 95% of the time we, make at least one change. Um, usually we're making it a set list. I mean, it, it always has to do with what we've played before. So we're not repeating from previous shows or, you know, the last time we've been in that city, but from there, it's like all about, you know, the vibe that we're kind of feeling going in and that, that changes so often once you get on stage. Um, so there, there's a lot of audibles that happen. So just taking a step back for a second, I wanted to ask you about those initial shows, um, at the house. So, I mean, we kind of glossed over one 
really important piece of information, which was that, uh, you know, unfortunately, the, the timing of this was not great because you guys as a band had unbelievable momentum um, coming into this spring ever. It seems like ever since the Peach Fest uh, gig last summer, so many people, everybody I know has been talking about Goose. Everybody wants to see Goose. Um, I really can maybe count on one hand the number of times in the last you know, over 20 years that I've been listening to this type of music that I've seen a band come out that like the kind of national community really sort of like gets around and, and has interest in right away. Um, so I've got to imagine that, um, you know, there's a little bit of wind taken out of your sails, but it was amazing to see you guys recover and kind of, you know, shift and do things right away. What I wanted to know actually was, were you guys all like staying in the same house and then just, you know, videoing um, occasionally? Or was that like, how did, how did that whole situation work out? Um, so we had been on the road together for six weeks and we got back and I, I'm pretty sure it was like the next day or maybe two days later at the most, um, we went right back to Trevor's and, and did the first live from out there. Um, and at that point, like, everyone was like really serious about quarantining. So we, we were just pretty much going back home. And then I think within the next couple of weeks, we did like a, another one or two of them. Um, and we tried to be efficient with it to, you know, get the set up there. And I think we did like a couple at a time sometimes. I don't, I don't know if, I, I think they're they supposed to be live, but some of them might've been a couple at a time because we were trying to be efficient there. Um, but yeah. And then, and then we kind of went into quarantine and didn't really have contacts, uh, you know, physically or, or do a lot of playing and kind of took a little break and figured out the next move, which is bingo tour. Ben, I, I think people who listen to this know that we really like goose. Um, and this is not a goose podcast, but we could talk about this all day, but I do have a couple <laughs> more questions. It's not I want to, <laughs> I want to know about the drive-in shows. What was that experience like getting back in front of fans? And how did you, how did you feel after that run of shows where you guys got to do those, uh, drive-ins? I feel really grateful that we were able to do these, you know, so many of our friends, uh, you know, just like us at Taurus canceled. Um, so just getting to do anything w was amazing. Um, and plus like some of those shows were even like our biggest headline shows that we've done so far. Um, and, and just like the size of the stage and looking out and seeing how big everything was, it was, it was a little intimidating, but also like really exciting. Um, the, on the flip side, it's crazy because you're on this huge stage and it, it feels epic to be playing these huge stages. But then you look out and you don't see a, a human being for like 20 feet in front of you. There's this big gap. Um, and uh, it, it's it took a little bit to get used to, for sure. It's a very different vibe. And I'm someone who I, I get in my head when I play a lot and I, I feed off the energy of the crowd. Like I'm always looking towards those people that are just having a blast and I'm just like, all right, let me just let me just make them keep dancing. So it's tough for me to not see those people, but, uh, it, it still feels amazing to do it. You, you do get like the energy of everyone in the crowd really appreciating it. And you can look and like see the groups of cars that are really getting down and still have the same kind of connection. Um, so it, it's definitely a different vibe, but it, it was amazing. And I, I'm, I'm really fortunate that, you know, we got to do as many of those shows as we did. You guys also covered a lot of ground geographically, which I guess is a testament, like you said, to the team, because they figured out how to get you guys to North Carolina and Ohio and Maryland and Vermont and Massachusetts. You guys were all over the Midwest and Northeast, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, we're we're in New England, so that's not that that's not that crazy for us. Our, our LD and tour manager and, and camera guy, we have a whole uh, crew out of Indy. So for them, it's a lot of traveling. 
Um, but when we do these things, they kind of come and, and post up with us and we have like a little, you know, home base at, at Trevor's house where everyone is kind of just in, in, it's a good hang, but it's also like very focused work mode. Um, we, we get a lot done and it's a really productive crew. So Matt and I were at the Frederick show and I, I will speak for Matt saying that it was really fun and it was, it was great to see live music. Matt, is that true? It was great to see live music. It was great to see uh, loud, amplified music. Um, I had done, and I think a lot of people did little things like this, like, you know, going to see uh, little shows outside at breweries and stuff like that. A lot of that was bluegrass and things like that. But um, man, to just feel some bass hit you in the chest and hear some drums nice and loud. Like, I, I think I turned to you at one point, RJ, and I was like, I think I'm going to put earplugs in. This is amazing. <laughs> 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 it was a it was a luxury to put earplugs in. Um, it's, RJ, it's funny. My last live show in February was Goose and the in the Pigeons tour out. <clears throat> excuse me in Tempe. I think that was like the fifth of February, maybe. Um, and I yeah, that was that was the show. That was the tour kickoff. Yeah, that's right. That's right. First full West Coast tour, I guess. Um, it was awesome. But this is the last time I've seen live music, and still it still is. Other than you know an acoustic guitar at a brewery, like like Matt was saying. So. Um, this really is a goose podcast, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, one more, one more, uh, detail. I, we've heard that two days from now on the 11th, Friday, December 11th, there's going to be a pretty cool goosemas. Ben, can you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what's happening? Yeah. So we're really excited about this one and, uh, I'm pumped. I can finally talk about it. It's been a long time. I've been having to bite my tongue on this, but, uh, we, we were really fortunate to partner with Twitch, um, to do a live stream through their platform, um, of Goosemas. Um, we're going to be doing it live from on top of Rockefeller center. Um, which is definitely going to be pretty crazy. Yeah. A really sweet view of the city in the background. Um, really epic historic place. Uh, should should definitely be some some ep- extra epic Goosemas vibes going on up there. <laughs> you need some of those pocket hand warmers, though. I think it's going to be cold. That, honestly, there. I use those all <laughs> all the drive-in tour. I had those in every every hoodie I was wearing. Had those in in between songs. <laughs> nice. It's weird. The, the drive-in shows are so cold here outside. In between songs, I'm either like dripping with sweat or I'm freezing <laughs> going to the hand warmers, and you never know. So, okay, so everyone can check out the, the live stream of Goosemas on uh, Friday, December 11th. And this is, I don't know how many Goosemases you guys have done. Maybe, is there like, is this, was this number seven or something? I feel like there was a number This attached. is number seven, yeah. We, we did one pretty much within the first like month of when we started a band. Um, pretty much it's just to throw a party for our friends. Um, and it has caught on in a pretty awesome way. That's great. Um, there's a link in the show notes you guys can check out if, if you want to check out the stream, which you should. I will be watching. All right, so let's talk about this this show. And actually, we haven't said this yet, but Ben, tell us about your first show when it was the first time that you saw Fish. 12, 29, 16. Um, just to put things in perspective, when, when I first joined Goose, I had never listened to Fish or the Dead was kind of like a Berkeley pretentious jazz fusion funk hip hop music snob and and was never really part of the jam scene at all and uh when I first joined uh you know after one of the first shows I'm at an after party with all these Connecticut kids I just met and there are this whole group of people that have seen fish now like you know two three hundred times and spend most of their life since high school just touring the country and seeing live music 
And uh, I used to have a really like, fun time, like, you know, giving them shit, making fun of fish and just being that that guy. And uh, there's always that guy. Yeah, I, I had a good time being that guy. And and then one morning I'm, I'm uh, waking up and I'm about to drive back to Boston. And at, at the time I was living in Boston, going back and forth. And my buddy who now you guys know him as coach, he's now uh, he's, he's a, a very big part of the Goose band and organization and a very good friend of mine. Uh, he gave me, I think it was like an I-90 fish CD. And uh, he told me to, he's like, put it in your car on the way home. He's like, just trust me. Just, you'll love it. I'm like, all right. I don't think I'm gonna like it, but I'll try. I got in my car, I put it in and I I had to take it out. I was like, I, I don't know. I was tired heading back and wasn't feeling it. And, you know, took it out. And then later in the drive, I'm like, all right, let me try this again. These people are awesome. I really liked them. I liked their other musical tastes. Like, let me try again. And I tried it. And honestly, I, I just, I listened. I was like, you know what? I, and I think it was mostly the vocals too that, that got to me at the time. And I couldn't really give it a chance. And I kind of forgot about it for a couple months. And then, you know, a few months later, I'm in my car heading from Boston to Connecticut to meet up with the goose guys for a run. And I'm, I'm stuck in traffic on the pike and I'm all sorts of stone and it's a beautiful day. And I remember I had this CD and I'm like, you know, let me give this one more try. And I put it in and it, something just clicked. And I literally listened through the whole thing. There was such bad traffic. It took me like f over five hours to get to Connecticut. And uh, I listened through the whole album twice through. And uh, ever since then was obsessed. And so this group of kids, uh, you know, coach and all, all their friends, they go to everything and they roll deep with a bunch of people. And, and finally, um, the end of 2016, they took me with them uh, for one of these shows. And it was just the beginning of the end right there. <laughs> um, it, you know, they'd been hyped up for a while. You know, I finally could admit to my friends that not only did I like them, but I think I loved this band. I was obsessed with them. Um, but the live experience had been hyped up for so long and I'm getting to find the experience that like with the right group of people was just, that was uh, like a, a big change for me musically in my life, like a big turning point right there. So when you were coming into the show, I mean, how educated were you on their music at that point? Were you still relatively green and just kind of like experiencing it? Or had you done a lot of homework, listened to a lot of shows and kind of knew what you were getting yourself into? More on the green side. When, when I moved to Connecticut for Goose, I was living with uh, with Coach and his now, uh, now his wife, Bonnie. Um, and, they, you know, they've seen fish at least you know probably 250 300 times each of them um so all of a sudden i was living in a home where fish was like the only thing played not the only thing but it was played all the time and and i was getting all the stats every time something was on i was getting all like the nerdy stats about everything um so i, I wouldn't say i'd soaked it all in at that point but at that point like i, I was around it and, and it was definitely a big part of my life at that point you understood what you were getting into sounds like right I was seeing what was happening to myself and I, I was getting it because it was a really powerful thing. Like they went from a band that I, I didn't give a, you know, a second thought about to all of a sudden, like, you know, if I could study with one person on the planet right now, it would be Fishman. And like, I just want to just talk to him and like get in his head. Um, and over the last few years, I've, I've, I've listened to fish more than any other band by far. Like that, that's just my go-to right now. I, I just, put on a random live album and just sit back. That's awesome. <clears throat> and you brought Fishman up. I wanted to ask you about him, obviously. Um, what, what do you, what were like the first things that stuck out to you about his playing and, um, you know, what do you, what do you listen for from him? 
I can't remember what it was, but I, I know there was this distinct moment when I was like, oh, wait, like Fishman isn't some sloppy jam band drummer. Like Fishman is like a fusion master. Uh, he was doing all these things that reminded me of like Vinnie Coyuta esque like fusion ideas, all this over the bar line, really complex Latin rhythms. And um, like, like his, one of his teachers, Kenwood Denard was one of my teachers um, back from my Berkeley days. And like, I can hear the influence in his playing and uh, yeah, I don't know. He's just such a unique, badass drummer who it, it really just like how, how he responds to everything is really what blows me away. Um, and just listening to his playing and, you know, hearing like, you know, Paige play some rhythm and me thinking, you know, me drumming along in my mind and thinking, Oh, I would do this. And then Fishman's just got some totally other idea that I would never think of. And it's just cool trying to get in his head like that. When you put that CD in that day on the pike, was, was it the drumming that, that got you or did you, did you hear something else at that time that was like, Oh, this is different than I have experienced before. Definitely a combination. I mean, I, I was really used used to improvise music, but within a context, like within a jazz context, there's always that form. And it's like you have this space to play around with, but it's always, you know, you know where it's going and it's it's always going to get there. Um, so to have the kind of that, that not being sure about what's happening in the music and kind of like keeping you on edge and then building and the layers and everything, it's just it's such a powerful thing that you know, someone who had studied music and been like very intellectual about music most of my life, it was kind of a cool thing to hear how powerful some of these things that they were doing were that even, even if they're not the most technical things, it's like the, the mindset of going into it and the kind of the energy that comes from the combination of all their parts. I've told people for a very long time, anytime I play fish for a trained musician, even if they wind up not loving the music, they 100% of the time get to a place of like, maybe it's not for me, but like, damn, these guys can play. You know what I mean? People, you can recognize the technical prowess. Like you said, it's not just like a sloppy jam band, this or that, or generic this, like they all are, are masters at their instrument and they continue to study. And that's, that's very apparent. Um, before you were kind of listening to Fishman and, you know, wanting to, to chat with him and stuff like that. I mean, who are your influences, um, you know, in your training and in the early days of Goose? Some of my big influences, I'd say Adam Deitch from Lettuce. Like I'm a big funk guy, um, Deitch, but even more like going back to like my roots, definitely like Dennis Chambers, Vinny Coyuta, um, guys like Chris Dave on the hip hop side of things, um, Nate Smith, like really, really into like jazz, funk, fusion uh, kind of guys. That's that's my background. Um and, and I was always kind of, I, I don't know, just kind of a know-it-all and a little pretentious with my musical background and didn't really, didn't really think of the jam scene as, as anything that was, you know, elevated music. And now that I listen to Fish, I hear like the stuff they do is so complex and, and subtle. Um, yeah, it, it's really a crazy thing, like how, how my perspective kind of changed so much there. Um, and, and I still love all those other guys. Um, it's just Fishman. It's just, he always keeps me on my toes right now. And I, I'm just, I'm obsessed. That's really cool to hear. I don't know anything about drums, but I think it's cool that <laughs> that you listen to it and you like, yeah, I mean, it's always good to learn, right? It's good to learn and yeah. like, listen to something and think like, oh, wow, that's not what I would have done. I mean, 
I think about that with podcasts all the time. So a question for you is, and I don't want to like, I, I actually don't hear a lot of fish in Goose's music. So I feel like a lot of, there's a lot of jam band music that is, I think, derivative. And I think you guys are on, on all the instruments. I hear different kind of influences, some jam band, some, some external things, but was there a point where you guys came together around improvisation or was that always at the heart of what you guys do now? Cause I feel like now you guys are a, an improvisational unit, but did it take some work to get there in terms of what you guys were playing, listening to and, and influenced by? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we've been a band for, you know, over six years now and uh, there's been some member changes and it really took getting the right dynamic and the right mix between all of us. Um, and, and I can remember, and, and I can, I can tell you for sure that everyone else in the band, except for Jeff, cause he wasn't in it at that point, can remember the first jam we had with Peter um, and just kind of the listening that was happening um, and the patience that was happening was something that really stuck out to us. Like we all left that rehearsal really excited about everything. Um, we've also definitely had times like when there has been, you know, a fish New Year's run and, and we've all, um, and we've all gone to the shows and then the next time we jam after you can kind of hear some, <laughs> maybe some influences there. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, we, we time, I, I don't know. I mean, when I first joined the band, the guys maybe sit down and watch, um, uh, what's that fish documentary, uh, bittersweet motel, try to get me like in the head of like the vibe of, of the jams and, you know, like building together and listening and, and all that. Um, so we've always tried to kind of take a lot of similar approaches um but we all come from very different backgrounds uh, musically which is why i think it keeps things unique What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Let's jump to 1229-16 because we actually, I missed this whole run, but Matt's on New Year's Eve. The thing is the, the fall 2016 run was pretty interesting and I feel like that's what you can hear in these shows. But Ben, when you go into Madison Square Garden, I, I'm, I don't know if you'd been there before, but your first time seeing fish, what was that like walking, walking in there to go to a fish show? It was a funny feeling uh, as someone who has been a professional musician for a while and seen, you know, live music is my life. I felt like definitely kind of a, a rookie, like a newbie walking in there. Um, so it was, it was an exciting feeling, uh, but I was walking in with a crew of people that, you know, like I said, have you know been touring to see them since they were in high school. Um, and that's a, that's a lot of years. Um, so it, it felt good to go in with a crew that like, knew what they were doing and it was cool also too because I, I remember running into just a whole bunch of people 
Um, my first show ever, I remember like waiting to get into MSG and I see like my favorite high school teacher of all time. Who's now a good buddy, like in line. And I'm just like, Oh, like, this is crazy. Like it, it felt, it was, it, it was very welcoming and it was exciting for sure. Matt, what was going on sound wise with the band going into that new year's run? Cause the, the fall 16 tour, I think was a little bit different than I guess the years before. Was there anything notable in terms of how their sound had evolved from your perspective? Well, I think the overall consensus of the fall tour was that it was pretty solid. Um, And that came after a summer tour that didn't have a lot of great reviews. Um, It was pretty up and down. Uh, I always bring this up, but this was an album release year and they tend to be a little bit different than the other years. They're, you know, focusing on the new album material. Not only that, the the new album in question at this point was Big Boat, which um, I think it's fair to say a lot of people are not huge fans of. Um, So they were kind of digging their way uphill uh, on this one. But the fall tour was fantastic and then culminated in an incredible Vegas run uh, where they played uh, Ziggy Stardust. Um, And I think people were pretty stoked going into this New Year's run based on that. Um, And, uh, you know, talking about before the 29th, I mean, the night before the 28th was was pretty fantastic. So I think there was a lot of crowd energy uh, going, you know, kind of excitement going going into this night sound wise i don't know that there was anything unique going on for the band um other than trey kind of uh adding some equipment to his guitar rig but this was before he made the big overhaul uh you know before the baker's dozen and everything like that so this is kind of actually like the end of the like pre baker's dozen you know uh period of like where they're touring and from this point when they settle into msg for this run they'll basically almost only play at MSG for like the next year. That's a really good point. <laughs> they, they basically play at MSG and Dick's for the next, the next, I mean, a co- you know, a couple months. of other places, but I mean, yeah, I, I didn't see, I think it was like a, whatever from this run into the next run. It was a, yeah, I don't know how many shows I saw in that period, but they were all at MSG. So it's not a bad year. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good year. So, so Ben, <laughs> one of my favorite parts of of the show is when the lights go out and the the first set starts. So you're you're getting ready for your your first show, and they open up with "Sweet Adeline," which is just like, uh, you know, it's it's pretty different than opening up with you know ACDC bag or some kind of rocker. But how did that first set? Do you remember how that evolved for you and what you're what you were thinking during that set? Yeah, I mean, I thought I got like a really funny first intro into it. Like you get the the funny acapella tune, uh, Zappa cover, great tune, into just like absolute driving funk, um, like classic fish to to me at least. Mike's song was like very, like that was a, a very fishy song to me that I I knew and um, I don't know. I, I I had a I had a fucking blast. That was awesome.
I think the first set was was quite a knockout for your first show. Uh, we've mentioned the the acapella opener and the peaches, which was a huge bust out. Other, uh, Secret smile in between the mics and the week of pod was <clears throat> also a bust out. Excuse me. Uh, Brian and Robert, nice slowdown bust out. Um, and then yeah, that melt you mentioned to close the first set of your first show. I think that's a treat. Really good for a set. Yeah. Um, did you, you, you know, you said you're familiar with mics. Um, uh, were you getting elbows from your buddies, like about the peaches and about the roses are free and that kind of stuff? Yeah. For, for most of the show, I had uh, the, the two halves of the couple on either side of me. And <laughs> oftentimes I'd be getting the same facts, <laughs> like, like one after another throughout the whole show. Um, so yeah, it was, it was cool. Cause they were also enjoying the fact that they were with, you know, like a career musician who had never gotten to experience this. So it, it was, it was fun for both of us. Was there anything surprising about it? Either like something you saw or heard that you didn't expect or, or something that you expected that didn't happen. I'm just curious because for, for a lot of us and, and a lot of people listening, their first show was like, so long ago that we don't really remember. So I'm just curious if you like, after that first set, if you were like, wow, that was actually exactly what I expected or, or, or something slightly different. Yeah, it was pretty much exactly what I expected. Um, just the vibe of the show and everything was just kind of what I was expected. It was amazing. It was very friendly and welcoming. Um, I mean, like the big thing for me is before the jam scene, I was kind of really used to like a music vibe that's kind of really competitive and everyone's just kind of like, all right, like, well, what can you do? And then you start playing in this scene and you get people that are just like, Hey, you want to play music for me? Like, awesome, sweet. I'm going to dance like, cool. <laughs> uh, and so just like, I wasn't even as used to that vibe at, you know, seeing live music um, nearly as much. So I was just loving like all the people watching and um, running into a lot of friends and just, I don't know. It was, it was a blast. It was pretty much everything I was hoping for. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I mentioned the Ziggy Stardust show, Ed O'Brien from Radiohead was at that show. Uh, and he had, is was kind of out of the blue. He happened to be in Vegas and went to the show, didn't know a whole lot about fish, uh, other than the reputation. And I remember the quote that came from him afterwards about what his, um, kind of impression was, and he said, I, the crowd, he was like, I couldn't believe the joy coming from the crowd and like the interest <laughs> and the intensity. And, and, you know, I mean, if, I don't know if you guys have seen Radiohead before, but like their fans are yeah. dedicated, they know every note and they're laser focused, but like to contrast that with a fish crowd where everybody's like hanging on every note, but also like celebrating all of it. It's like, a, it's a very joyous occasion. And I think that can be a little bit of a different experience, um, for a lot of people. But Maybe this, he's the one who stole my poster. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, so it's yeah, worth man. noting. I mean, this um, this run they started every show off with a an acapella tune, uh, not only an acapella tune, but basically like a, a bust out acapella tune. Um, you know, the next night was Carolina, and the next night was Don't Bogart that joint. Um, but this set, it's it's interesting. It's like on paper, it's a little weird because you've got Secret Smile and you've got Brian and Robert. Um, but I listened to it right before we talked and um it's hot from the get-go i mean trey mm -hmm. is just you listen to the mic song and in between the composed licks that he always plays he's just noodling and getting at it in a way that you can kind of tell he's feeling a little a little bit feisty uh on the night when you um ben when you when you kind of 
saw the band, I mean, like, how did you kind of contrast like the energy of what the band's doing and like the, the formality of the presentation versus other shows that you had been to in the past? It, it's, I mean, when you go in, when, when you're playing and the musicians on stage don't know exactly what's going to happen and they're just improvising and vibing off the energy, it creates this, I, I feel like it kind of connects everyone in the room because everyone's kind of just drawn in. They're wondering what's going to happen because no one really knows. Um, all of a sudden I started, you know, seeing, going back to seeing other shows of bands that were some of my favorite. And I would, I would listen. I'd find myself getting bored because as much as I loved what I was hearing, I knew exactly where it was going to go and what was going to happen. Um, and everything, every way it built was kind of in a way I expected. Um, where, whereas here it was just in a, in a very, different way um well i mean talk about that as a performer i mean like is because it's it's difficult to go out on stage and take that kind of a risk i mean as a performer it's much better to go on stage and think i i know what's going to happen i'm in control of the situation i can you know I, i can visualize in my mind's eye what I'm going to do on stage versus going out and saying like, I have no idea what the fuck's going to happen. And I have to be kind of a willing participant in that. Yeah. It's, it's cool. It's a very different mindset. I mean, like when I was, when I first was playing with goose, I was playing in another band that doesn't exist anymore uh, called the new review. And it was based out of Boston and it was like an 11 piece funk soul band with horns. And it was, it tested me because it was very intricate songs with tight hits. And like, if you didn't hit this one transition with that extra, like, you know, 16th note odd bar here, then the whole band would fall apart. Kind of keeps you on your toes. You start playing this kind of music and it's, it's really all about just getting yourself to relax and just respond naturally and like not think about those things. I mean, obviously you need to be aware of the changes and the hits and, and the stops and everything, but it's really about getting yourself to just like, enjoy the moment and react to it like as you're feeling it in that moment um so it's cool because one i don't get bored as a performer i play these songs you know hundreds of times and i don't get bored because i I don't have parts that i have to stick to i can do whatever i'm feeling um and and two it's cool because like when you relax and you start not thinking about all the things you have to do you hear just different sounds and different voices open up um, and things start to surprise you and come at you in different directions you weren't expecting. Um, and it just makes it really exciting and fun. As a, as a fan of music, fish or, or otherwise, are you, are you paying attention to drums? Do you hear drums first? Are you like, is that your focal point as a, as a fan and kind of observer? Yeah. Sometimes I wish it wasn't always, but it's definitely, right away what my ear goes to um i can't like if i hear a band and i don't like the drummer i'm i'm really not going to be able to <laughs> listen to the rest of the band which back back to this show like the peaches you know second so- like the first first amplified song i guess that's a pretty good one as a drummer <laughs> like you're you're hearing fish oh yeah yeah when, when you hear that fill it's like just such an unmistakable like oh this is this is peaches right now this is gonna be awesome
so the the second set the lights go down and you get a I think almost all segues without stopping down with disease what's the use fuego lots of other stuff um what what did you think of that set was it different from the first is there any any reflections on that one yeah i mean that's a way more hazy set for me i was having definitely a great time (laughs) with my friends and and getting after it and i mean the first set like after a first experience like that i just i was definitely feeling great and definitely enjoying myself uh you know i I mean i i left i walked out of the building after the second set uh just like hungry for my next show and at that point i was i was fully on board oh that's the feeling right there um we got to make fun of the down with disease second set opener rg and i feel like we get it way too much um but it's exciting um especially when it goes into that what's the use i also think it picked up some steam at the end and, and jonathan who's not with us mentioned it as well maybe around the 11 minute mark of that jam um, it takes a nice turn uh, before it gets dark into the what's the use. as you mentioned it kind of loses some steam in the middle there i love meat stick i think it's a great dance tune especially for your first show you're getting after it with your buddies in the second set that meat stick is a fun thing to, to dance to um that that's a fun crowd one for sure right people are going up there and that <laughs> nice and then uh the 20 years later which i think some people would say would kill the fourth quarter if you will uh but it goes into the kung and that's uh i saw a kung at my second show i think um, and that throws you for a, for a loop. Yeah, I mean, it it it, uh, it takes a turn in the middle, you know, 
after the great disease and what's the use, which is a great segue into what's the use um, before it was a little bit overplayed. Um, Fuego meat stick. I, I think at your first show, that's got to be incredible. I would have loved to have seen meat stick in my first show, but you know, you get 150 shows in and it's, all right, it's meat stick in the middle of the second set. <laughs> but, um, you know, they did pick Jaded. it up. The, the 20 years later, had, they go into Kong. Um, and then the, even the Makasupa uh, has this crazy banter between the band and gets into a marimba lumina jam and a, a, a percussion jam. Um, but then there's this interesting that happen, thing that happens at the end of the set. Um, are you Ben, are you familiar with the Harry Hood guy meme? No, not with a so meme, this no. Is, so you guys will know, a lot of our listeners will know, and we'll send this to you. Um, and I actually have an interesting story in connection to this, which is that I'm I'm watching the webcast uh, at home. I mentioned earlier I'd had surgery a couple weeks beforehand, so I was just kind of like basically on the couch and stuff for, for weeks at a time. And I'm, I'm watching this show, and during Harry Hood, during the peak of Harry Hood, the cameraman and the director just somehow found this single guy in the crowd who had the greatest expression of (laughs) dumbfoundment on his face. And they slowly zoomed out so that you could see the perspective of him in the crowd. And right when Trey peaked the jam, he had the look on his face. Like uh, my, my brain is completely melting. (laughs) And, um, our, our good friend, Rod, Rob Mitchum, uh, who hosts, uh, 36 from the vault on Osiris on Twitter instantly was like, all right, who's got the screen grab of that. And I managed to pause (laughs) it and I rewound it like 15 seconds and I like took a video of it and put it up on the internet. It's the only tweet I have ever had in my life that went viral. There was like th- thousands. It got, it got shared on blogs and all this kind of stuff. And it's still it's, on relics. It's still, it's still like, li- it's like a, like you could probably go on like Giphy or something like that. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm watching it right look now. Look up like hood, so hood guy. <laughs> You're um, famous, man. So you were there for the, the hood guy hood, which was like a face melting hood uh, at the end of the set. I, I never put that together. That was that night. Yeah. That's crazy.
I was that guy at the jam night of the Baker's Dozen at, at the end. <laughs> nice. I, I remember just at the end of that that encore, my my arms in the air, just tears in my eyes, oh. and just like hugging my friends. Like it was it was a really embarrassing but awesome moment. <laughs> so okay, yeah. So Ben, that, well, I, first I want to say in my defense of of being annoyed about Down with Disease, I've seen Down with Disease as a second set opener twice as many times as the second second set opener I've seen. So just just let that sink in. I'm not going to say the numbers. That's because fair. I've seen I, I can respect the, the jaded level of fish fans that have seen them hundreds of times. <laughs> I'm, I'm only at like like 10 or 12. It's, it's a little... <laughs> so. It's a, it, Anyway, Ben, so what happened after this? You saw a bunch more shows. Did you, did you immediately just start seeing a bunch of shows, except that you were also playing in this band? Yeah, I mean, we, we started... I, I mean, the four of us have very different musical tastes, but fish is definitely a big common ground. Um, everyone else in the band grew up touring and listening to fish except for me. Um, so they've all kind of tapered off more and then I've come on strong. Mm. But, um, when we're riding around the country, there's a lot of hours in a day and it's pretty much podcasts or fish. Um, and we definitely listen to some other stuff, but fish is one that, you know, we, anyone can put it on and we're all going to be happy with it. Um, so driving around the country, you probably listen to fish more than anything else. One more goose question. What's the like process for covers? Do you guys, does somebody just throw, throw the cover into the hat and you guys decide or uh, somebody present it to the band? You know, like how do you guys decide? Yeah, it's a pretty sweet hat. You know, we keep the hat in the middle of the room. It's on a stand. <laughs> Let me ask a related question for that because um, is there any concern? Like I play in a band and there's a lot of times where we're all fish fans, but we don't want to be fish. And so there's a lot of like, well, fish does that. So we don't want to go there. You guys play cross-eyed and painless. So like what goes into the decision over that? Is it like fish does this? Maybe we should do it. Maybe we shouldn't do it. It's okay. Like how does that play part? Cross-Eyed was one of the ones that from early on when we were just playing bar gigs and we needed more, more songs that was just in our repertoire. Um, as we've gone over the years, we've gotten tons of fish requests like all the time. Um, and we're definitely not trying to continue doing that. I mean, for, for me, I'd love to, cause I just haven't gotten to play that much fish. Um, but but yeah, I mean, the, the comparisons, I mean, if, especially if you guys have seen what's happening at El Goose, there's like, I'm trying to stay away from it now, our, our Facebook group, but there's a lot of like people complaining about people comparing us to fish and people being very strongly opinionated on it. Um, I, I'd say like, we're just trying to be us. And if it's, if it reminds people of fish, it's because we all love fish, but we're not trying to do things to be like them or to not be like them. We're, we're just, we're trying to do what we want to do for us. That's really interesting. Cause I said earlier, I don't, I don't actually hear a lot of fish in your music. I mean, I, I feel the yeah. the inspiration is there, but I like, I listen to guitar first. That's what my ear goes to. And I hear like, like for example, Steve Kimock way more than I hear Trey and in, in Rick's playing or other guitarists. So I, I don't, I think that's like, I think you're, you guys are probably a little bit of a target because you're like, because you're successful, you know, and and people are seeing that you're having success and the last band that has achieved that, you know, Mm -hmm. which is, I guess it's a double-edged sword in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, the fact that anyone's saying negative things, I'm okay with it because (laughs) like, I I don't know, there's there's enough positive things out there. The internet is going to do what the internet does. (laughs) 
I'm, I'm fortunate that like that stuff doesn't really stick to me. I, I think it's kind of entertaining. Um, and I, I take it with a grain of salt for sure. You've made it when people are saying bad things about you. There's haters. You got haters. Yeah. I'll, I'll take it. You hate, hate on me, you know, don't, don't hate on <laughs> other people that can't take it. And the internet is, is rough, especially in like the jam band scene. It, there's oh, not, yep. there's not a lot of com- camaraderie out there. It's kind of unfortunate. Um, For joyous, you know, communal hippie kind of things. We, we, there's a lot of people with strong opinions. Um, let, <laughs> yeah, let me, let me ask you sure. one other question about that relationship. What if anything, just musical stuff aside, but like in terms of like planning, how to be a band relationship stuff, do you guys look to them at all for that kind of stuff? Or is it really just kind of musical influence? I, I mean, definitely for, for both. I mean, like, you know, like I said, when the guy sat me down and made, made me watch bittersweet motel, that was really to get like an idea of the vibe that we, you know, reminding us, like, we want to have fun. That's why we're doing this to have a good time and to keep it, you know, light spirited, uh, lighthearted. Um, yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we've seen a lot of bands on the road, especially people that we've been friends with and, and bands that have seen success, you know, burn themselves out or, or make wrong decisions. And, you know, this industry is such a tough thing with so many moving parts. Um, and again, it just goes back to like, I'm really grateful that the team around us, our, our management and just the combination of all the people, um, we're all looking out for each other. And, and I'm sure we've made mistakes. You know, there's no way to, to know, but we're, we're just trying to make smart decisions as much as possible. Um, and, and, and yeah, like, we're, I mean, those guys, like we, we want to do, I mean, those guys are our heroes. So anything we can learn from them um, is awesome. One of the things I notice, and I, you know, I don't know if this is true, but it's more than just the four of you or five of you. Um, you know, the whole crew seems to be involved a lot, especially during the bingo tour and that kind of stuff. We know coach now, we know everybody else. So it's more of a familial thing. Not that you guys don't work hard um, or put a lot of effort into it, but I think that's important for the health too. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. That, I don't know if that's intentional, but I feel like fish had that for a while too, where it was more than just the four of them. So. Yeah. We, we got really lucky. I mean, it was really, we, we met up with uh, Andrew Getty, um, our, our lighting designer really at, at a time that we were both kind of growing and hungry to learn. And, uh, we kind of partnered together and and it's been amazing. Everything since then, every piece we've added, it it doesn't feel like it's a hired gun. Like they're our family and, you know, some of my best friends. Um, so it's, it's really awesome. We're really lucky. It, It honestly feels like we have the dream team and it was funny for like bingo tour, you know, when we were getting a lot of really good, um, press from it. And I love telling people that, you know, we're a tier seven jam band, with a tier one production team. Um, it, it, it's, it's really amazing. Like they just crushed it and make us feel so comfortable. So we have an easier time doing what we do. Great. So Ben, last question, musically, what do you think it is about fish that's made them able to be who they are today? Like, are you able to, as a musician, kind of like pinpoint a couple things i think it's just about playing the music that you're feeling and not trying to you know play for any other reason just like play what you're feeling and and do it to have a fucking blast and connect with people um yeah i mean it's it's a pretty it's a it's a powerful thing like the the opportunity that we get to have to to influence and and affect a lot of people's lives and i think the people doing it for the right reasons um i think it comes across in the music 
Um, and so for me personally, it's about kind of like that escape for everyone and, and being able to give people that escape from their stress in their life and just let them get away and just enjoy the music. Um, and for me, like, it's the same thing. Like I feed off that, like I need that, that energy right back. Um, so we're just, yeah, I mean, we're, we're doing what moves us and what makes us feel good. And, and we're trying to connect with everyone out there. Um, and we're not trying to like put on a front or, or anything. We're just doing what we do. That's awesome. That's, that's interesting to hear, especially because fish has such a history of like, when you expect them to go into a jam, they just do something completely goofy and off the wall, but like, that's who they are, you know? it's a yeah it, it makes sense and i hope i hope that uh you know more bands stick to that you know because i do think that's what makes fish special it's like even when you don't want to hear a mid-second set like jennifer dances you know you're you're gonna hear it for example <laughs> which, which happened to us once um well, this is really fun ben thank you so much for for joining us matt Brad, anything else you guys want to say before we wrap up? Just keep going, man. RJ said we were at the Frederick show and it was one of the highlights of my year. I think, uh, you know, drought, music drought or not, uh, it was a great show. And I think you guys are doing great things and um, just keep on keeping on. Well, th thank you. I mean, that means so much. I mean, it, it's it's been awesome. the fish community is a new thing for me, but they've been awesome to me. And I, I, I really appreciate that. And it's it's a fun thing to be a part of. And uh, if anyone wants to connect me to Fishman for lessons, uh, please do that. <laughs> I, I want that. And also, uh, while I have you guys, I, I have to let you know that uh, I have a old band from Boston that is making a revival. Uh, we have an album that we started six years ago and is now about to be done. It's being mixed right now. It should be mastered by the end of the next couple of weeks. And uh, it's with Goose's old keyboard player, uh, Chris Enright, who people call him the doc. And uh, Sean Cronin is a Boston guitarist who he actually played. He's on, uh, if you listen to the, I forget which Boston show it was. There was a brewer who he played at and Sean sat in and him and Rick just go at it. Uh, nice. And Sean Gordon, a bass player. But this band is, is making a revival. It's called Elephant Proof. Um, so keep an eye out because in the next, we're looking at probably like early mid-January, a release of this, this new album. So I'm excited about that. Sweet. So We'll definitely awesome. check it out. And we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, thanks, Ben. And thank you again for joining us. It's been awesome. Keep, keep on keeping on. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. Awesome talking to you guys. All right. All right, everyone. Thank you all for listening. Uh, please give us reviews and subscribe to Under the Scales, which is where you'll find Undermine. There's so much more to come. We love you guys. Keep on rocking. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song. 
Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast.